Welcome to the Fed Heads, a weekly podcast from Grant Thornton Public Sector. Join the Fed Heads, Robert Shea and Francis Rose, each week to talk about the arcana of government management and the people who are working hard every day to improve it. Welcome to episode 160 of Fed Heads. I'm Francis Rose. And I'm Robert Shea. Now, one of my favorite parts of this show, first of all, is talking to my friend every week, which I do, Robert. That's you. And then another favorite thing is when I talk to people who are also my friends, who are the guests on the show. And this uh, guest in particular, number one, has really important things to say about the future of acquisition in the federal government. And number two is somebody I haven't talked to for a long, long time. It's wonderful to welcome Tiffany Hickson, the Regional Commissioner of the Federal Acquisition Service at the General Services Administration of the program. First of all, We're on Zoom. It's great to see you, Tiffany. The viewers, well, there are no viewers because it's an audio-only podcast, Um, so they can't see you, but it's wonderful to see you. I miss you visiting the East Coast because of the pandemic and all that stuff, so I'm, I'm happy to see you and talk to you today. And your agency continues to roll out really important acquisition opportunities for people across the federal government, um, particularly in uh, services acquisition. What's different in your view? Because you've been doing this for a while. What's different in your view about services acquisition in the government today, as opposed to what it looked like five years ago, or ten years ago, or maybe longer? I would probably say in the in the last five years. And first of all, Francis and Robert, thank you so much for the opportunity to come and talk to you today. I'm a, a huge cheerleader, right, for services acquisition. And whenever I have an opportunity to talk about it, um, I'm glad to have it. So thank you so much. And Francis, it is great to see you. I'm looking forward to you know, maybe the fall. I could bust out of here. Yes. I'm seeing her thing. That would be great. Be great. Be great. All right, so what's the difference in the last five years in terms of services? Um, And I could go into 10 years. There's a lot of things that are different over the last 10 years. But really, I think the last five years, we've had some transformational, really, policy um, direction, management practices, you know, primarily category management. Um, And I think that's really helped us to think about um, our industrial base, how we're using the industrial base, how we're accessing the the industrial base um, a a lot differently than we had previously. Category management, in my view, um, is really, we spent a lot of time talking to large private companies who use this as a management technique um, in terms of how they um, access their industrial base. And there's a lot to learn. Um, They do some really, really smart things. Not all of them may be appropriate for government, but many are. Um, And so what I've been focused on in my role as the government-wide category manager for professional services is really thinking through, one, what's the problem that we're trying to solve? And it is largely, at least as a first step, um, first, the amount of contract duplication, right, that we've got uh, in the services contracting space. And really behind that is requirements. Um, How are we buying? What does that look like? How are we leveraging competition and that kind of thing? So I think category management, right, has put a really big spotlight on the industrial base as a whole and who's actually winning the work and how many contracts are they managing? As category management has evolved, the the definition I think in people's minds maybe hasn't evolved, but I don't think everybody necessarily thinks about it the same way or the right way, to be fair. Have you seen that in the marketplace? Am I analyzing that correctly, Tiffany? 
I think it's a really new concept for the federal government, right? So if you're not enmeshed in category management principles, and there are like whole associations, um, you can get a certification in category management. There's a whole world, you know, out in the private sector um, that has deep knowledge in this space. So I, I think it's new for government. And I think there are some assumptions um, that it's uh, strategic sourcing on steroids, right? Um, and that's really not what it's about. Um, it's really about uh, a series of management principles um, and how are, are you doing smart buying? Um, do you know who you're buying from? Um, how are you managing those requirements? What are the real cost drivers, right, in the acquisition system? And when you're looking at that for the whole federal government, that's a really complex, right, you know, conversation to have. And I think the assumption is because it went from strategic sourcing to category management, right, that it's the same thing with a different title. And mm -hmm. that's absolutely you know, not the case. It strikes me too that there might have been some apprehension at the very beginning because people were wondering if it was a fad or if it was something that was going to stick around and people didn't really want to invest, get so heavily engaged in something that somebody was going to come along a couple of years later and decide wasn't a thing anymore. I think that's true. And when you're talking about, it's not like uh, when you talk about management principles, sometimes they're fad, sometimes they're not. Um, and in my view, you know, the, the great thing about category management is you're making data-driven decisions. Look at the data. What is the data telling you? Um, where is that showing where we've got opportunities to improve? Um, are we ever going to have a perfect acquisition system? Probably not. Hasn't happened in my 32 years plus of being in the field, right? She started when she was 10, Robert. I did. I did. Um, but, you know, where we've got opportunities to make improvements based on data and lessons learned that have been made in industry or other parts of the government. I mean, that's really, in my view, what category management is about um, is what's the data telling you and what are you going to do to fix it? You know, it's something we watch closely is to what extent will initiatives traverse administration to administration? So. This really took hold during the Obama administration, sustained during the Trump administration. Looks like it'll continue in this administration. You've got a couple of other drivers, it seems to me. GAO testified on its biennial overlap and duplication report, explicitly calling out duplication in acquisition as an opportunity to save billions and billions of dollars. But we've also had a global look at weaknesses in our supply chain. Um, every industry is looking to ensure that it doesn't suffer the same things it did during this pandemic in the future. How do those forces impact you and, and how do they help or, or hurt you drive the application of these principles across the federal government? I think they help. I think GAO Wright has come out with a couple of reports. There was one it was in October, right, that was really focused on category management and continuing to look at how the federal government is buying as an entity and how it's managing its industrial base. Um, and I think this latest report is another example of that. And when you look at the data, they're right. Um, there is tremendous duplication. And actually, I think that duplication drives risk into the acquisition system. How many contracts do you have with the same company? What are you buying from them? What do those requirements look like? And are there opportunities to standardize those so we reduce risk across the supply chain? Um, when there's a bunch of noise, um, and actually when I worked at uh, 
just a sidebar. When I worked at uh, Customs and Border Protection, you know, the, the Border Patrol would always call it clutter, right? You got to clear out the clutter to see what the threat really is. Um, and I think in acquisition, it's the same thing. Um, you know, we've got so many contracts with largely the same industrial base when you're looking at where most of the money is going. Um, and you're missing opportunities to see that risk because it's just overwhelming, right? You, you got to have contracts. You have to be able to see them and then structure them in a way that clears out that clutter so you can get to what are you buying? What are the risks there? Um, and until you have that structure, it's really hard to do. So pursuant to that idea of clearing out the clutter, you're developing a new IDIQ for services. Is that the main goal is to consolidate a bunch of these things that are out there? Or where are you headed with this, Tiffany? We have a, a whole bunch of goals. Uh, in terms of <laughs> well, <laughs> we have a whole bunch of time, just coincidentally. <laughs> All right. we, well, we've learned a lot, right, over the, the last five years. I'll, I'll start first with um, we've at least my organization has never had an opportunity to build a contract from scratch, right? Uh, based on category management principles or in using some of those principles, right? And standing up a new best in class contract. And uh, Oasis um, is the current best in class contract for professional services for government. It's the only one. Um, we do have a services contract for human capital. Um, it's the only one that's government wide best in class contract. And both were, the acquisition strategies were developed before this was a thing. And before, you know, we had policy requirements that said, here are the things that you need to bake into your contracts. Um, so one, we're building it around those principles um, and which I think is important. Um, you know, Oasis, we worked hard, right? To try to meet the requirements of a best in class contract and have it meet all the rest of the other principles for category management. And it just wasn't built for that. Um, so we're really looking to do something that is, in my view, more elegant, uh, more flexible um, and really factors in some good uh, acquisition practices as just kind of a top line goal. Um, and it's interesting when we're to pick up on the conversation that we were having around duplication. So my team over the last couple of years after listening to um, experts in the private sector talk about how they manage large industrial bases, we started to look at our industrial base a little bit differently and started to run the data. So we looked at all services, not just professional services government wide. And this trend has continued for the last three years. And in FY21, um, for all services spend in government, there were a little over 1,800 contractors that earned 80% of that spend, which is huge, by the way. Mm -hmm. It's like over $100 million. Right. Um, those 1,800 contractors manage 38,000, over 38,000 standalone contracts. That's not task orders. That's contracts. Ooh. Yeah, that's the problem that yeah. we're trying to solve, right? Like we want to, if, if I could have like one master contract agreement, right? Or one master contract for most of our, our contractors in government. And then we were able to really have those terms and conditions really manage our relationship with the contractor. And then competition underneath that really drives the solutions at a task order level. You know, that would be, you know, I think... The ultimate goal for this contract, however, we're just focused on services, not boiling the ocean for all of government. Um, I won't get my wish there, um, but we're really focused on that. And so how do you balance 
one, reducing that amount of contract duplication across government, and you're setting up a new government-wide contract that really has the right terms and conditions, one, and then two, by what it, kind of service that we're buying, and we buy various services, um, but two, you got to make sure that the industrial base that's on the contract, right, is skilled, that they've got the right experience uh, to do that work. So that's really our outside of contract duplication, we really want to make sure that on this contract, there is the right industrial base and they have the right skill sets uh, to meet agency's requirements. I mean, you know, that's just number one. That's why you do contracts, right? Is <laughs> have access for people to do good work. So um, we're, we're focused on largely those two things through this contract. Um, a couple of other lessons learned from Oasis. Uh, Oasis had, and it was visionary, right? When they thought through this in the beginning was before my time managing the contract, but you know, this idea of on-ramps. Um, and after category management got stood up, the, the want from the small business community, right? To get on a best in class contract in this space was just huge. And we have spent, we just finished up for both Oasis and HCATS um, on ramps. They're really hard. Um, for the Oasis on ramp, we started in 2018. It took us two years. Like we had over 2,000 questions, over 1,600 proposals. We awarded 730 new contracts. Wow. Um, and that was just based on really the category management leadership council and industry saying, listen, you, you got to give us access to this contract because our agencies want to use the best-in-class contract. Um, we just finished that work in November for the most part. We still have, you know, some litigation actually uh, that we're still working through. So they're, they're hard. Um, and with this new contract, what I would like to do um, and the concept that we're exploring is really to have vetted open enrollment. Um, to you know, pivot away from the on-ramps. Uh, it creates a lot, it's a lot of work, it's expensive, it drives a lot of BMP costs. Um, I would prefer that we have you know, a, a standard and we're probably gonna organize the contract around what we're calling domains. Um, so it's areas of services spend that have stated criteria for uh, industry. So they know like, hey, I have to have this level of experience to get in here, but it's always open. So once a company has that level of experience, they can come put in their offer, we can negotiate it, we can get them on contract. Um, so that's going to be, you know, a key, a key new feature of you know, this contract. You know, you raise a lot of interesting points in that story you just told about what you've learned. What does it tell you about other risks that you think you face? One that comes to mind is uh, equity. Uh, administration has made one of its top priorities improving the equitable distribution of the government's goods and services that includes its contracting practices government's always focused on this to some degree but what's going to change based on the administration's focus and what other risks do you see in in your drive to improve the management of services contracting I actually don't see it as a risk. I see it as an opportunity <laughs> based on, you know, what we've learned over the last couple of years. And I, we just have some really smart acquisition professionals on my team. Um, and they have really been thinking through, again, a more elegant solution in terms of how small businesses are going to be included and socioeconomic uh, businesses are going to be included in the contract. 
how we can solve some of the problems that we saw um, on our OASIS um, and actually Leachcast contracts. Um, and I, I think they've come up with a really interesting idea. We still have to work with um, the Small Business Administration about how to structure it on this contract. But what we're looking to do is actually have one contract environment. OASIS had actually three different contract environments. We had unrestricted, small business, and now we have a OASIS 8A. Um, and they're all independent contract environments where you have to compete in those environments separately. Um, and what we learned from that in particular for our small business contractors um, is when it came time for them to re-rep, right, at the option period, we lost um, almost 100% of our small businesses um, that were on in our biggest pool um, for Oasis Pool 1. Uh, they graduated out. And only, I just had someone send me the number on this, only, I think, 20 of all of those contractors, and there were a lot, um, made it onto Oasis Unrestricted, even though we had mechanisms baked into the contract for that. So what we're hearing, right, from mid-sized companies and small businesses is like, hey, if the reward for being successful is I'm out, that's not really a reward, right? So we've got a really... An, Francis, to your point about procurement geek stuff, mm -hmm. it's like hardcore procurement geek gymnastics stuff, yeah. right? That we're working through to make sure, right, that we can structure a contract environment where that doesn't happen. Yeah. Ever. Like the reward of being successful is that you're not out. Um, and we're also looking at using reserves, small business reserves, again, a procurement geek thing, um, a, a differently i think than what have people have thought about it you know previously we're starting to run out of time tiffany but oh, sure. I, I really appreciate you joining us today i know you could well you should <laughs> um you should Tailor made for fedheads by the way that's right yeah. that's right um so we should continue this another time but what what happens next what's the timeline look like and what do you anticipate being the continued role for industry to have feedback? It sounds like you've been really aggressive at trying to get industry feedback and understand what they want. And I wonder how that continues through the rest of the process that you have ahead of you. Yeah, for the balance of this year, we started market research you know, formally in January. We're looking to have our market research and our acquisitions strategy settled by the end of this fiscal year um, with a draft solicitation issued in early in next fiscal year after everyone gets through the, the year-end buying crush. Um, we've already issued one RFI uh, where we received, I think, over a thousand responses, a lot of good feedback. Um, in the next week or two, uh, we're gonna be issuing our second RFI and we'll be planning a second industry day. We had one before too, but we're going to do a second industry day in midsummer to report out on what we heard from um, those that that RFI. We also are meeting with every single business association that there is to talk about you know these concepts. Let's work through where the challenges are, get good feedback. Uh, several of those have actually stood up working groups to give us you know structured feedback um, about some of these concepts. So we're going to continue to march through the rest of this fiscal year, right, with just that dialogue, talking with our customers. We've been out across the federal government, talking to procurement leaders as well as frontline workers about what works in our contracts and what doesn't all with the goal of setting up something that is, you know, more flexible and can better meet their needs. 
Now, Robert, as she's talking about those meetings with the industry associations and stuff, I got to give Tiffany a hell of a lot of credit. She might not even remember this. Boy, it's got to be at least at least five years ago, and it might have been longer. I moderated one of those. I can't remember who the association was, but they asked me to come and kind of be the moderator so that, quite frankly, I think the reason was so that the people in the audience didn't give her a whole bunch of hell about some, whatever it was they didn't like about whatever she was working on at the time. And she took these questions, the slings and arrows from these people with such grace and such kindness. And it, it was really a demonstration of patience and courage to stand up in front of all these people that were pretty explicit about what they cared for and didn't care for about the work that she was doing. So I think she should get a big thumbs up for that. I, that sticks with me every time I think about um, the dialogue between government and industry, Tiffany. Oh, well, I appreciate that, Francis. That's really nice feedback. I haven't, I haven't heard that before. Do you remember yeah, that? I tended, uh, yeah. You, you've, <laughs> I, I, you've actually been on a couple, I think it was probably act, an act-IAC thing. Um, but you've been on a couple of panels, I think, for me, because sometimes I say stuff that scares people. Change is hard. Well, we're grateful to have you with us today, and congratulations on this and uh, continued success. It's just great to see you again, my friend. Oh, nice to see you too. And thank you, Robert. It was a pleasure meeting you. I hope to meet you in person. Likewise. Thanks, Tiffany. Thanks for listening to The Fed Heads, brought to you by Grant Thornton Public Sector. All of the resources talked about during the episode are available in the episode description. We'd love to hear from you. Connect with us on Twitter at GT Public Sector to join the conversation. And don't forget to leave us a comment or review on iTunes or the Google Play Store.